Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. And Jesus is literally telling us that when we're insulted, when we're assaulted, verbally at least, just to let it go, just to blow it off, just to turn the other cheek. We see Jesus himself doing this regularly. For they came and said, friend of sinners. So they accuse him falsely and he just lets it go. We learn very early on to look out for number one, to protect our own interests. Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 flies in the face of what the world would call conventional wisdom, so let's get some real wisdom as Pastor Sam completes his message, Jesus' most misunderstood teaching, picking up in verse 38. He says, you've heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. Jesus is now going to clarify and straighten out where they'd gotten confused. And here's some real irony. People read what Jesus goes on to say and are equally confused in our day. Not only don't they get what he was straightening out, but now they have added confusion. Jesus says, first of all, not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, not to resist an evil person. This is the same word resist that James and Peter used to say we must in fact resist the devil. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We're to resist him steadfastly in the faith. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And of course we're to resist all evil or all desire to do evil. And so what's he saying? Not to resist an evil person. He gives us an illustration, an example, so we can really put this together. Whoever slaps you on one cheek, he says, turn the other cheek. Now, I'll tell you how this passage has been misused, misunderstood, and abused. There are those who've gotten caught up in um, violent relationships, abusive relationships. And because they think, well, the Bible says turn the other cheek, they allow themselves to be abused. You need to know that was never Jesus' intention when he shared these things. And if you're living in an abusive relationship or you have friends or family who are living in an abusive relationship, you need to get out of yours. You need to counsel them to get out of theirs. Now, I'm not saying that if you're married and your spouse is abusive, that you should divorce your spouse. And if you have any confusion in this issue, get the tape of last week because it will clear all that up for you. What I am saying is no one should live under a roof where they aren't safe. It's not right for you. It's not right for children if they're in the picture. It's not right for the person who's abusive. You move out, you get counseling, you get help. The goal, by the way, would always be restoration. It's not just to get away from the situation, but to force some mediation and say, listen, I want to be with you, I care for you, I love you, but I will not let myself be put in a position where I am abused, abused by you. And if you think that he's saying, hey, turn the other cheek means, you know, they bash you in with one and then, you know, you just turn and they bash you with the others. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's dealing more in the realm of insult. And if you remember those movies where you got the little sort of effeminate French guys and they take off their glove and they kind of do this deal, you know, they choose the other guy off pistols at 40 paces or, or whatever it's going to be, sword fighting. It, it wasn't so much a, a slap to inflict injury, but to inflict insult. That's what it was about. And Jesus is literally telling us that when we're insulted, when we're 
assaulted, verbally at least, just to let it go, just to blow it off, just to turn the other cheek. We see Jesus himself doing this regularly. For they came and said, friend of sinners, by the way, I wouldn't mind at all if that was on my tombstone. You know, if the Lord delays his coming and I actually die, I'd be happy to have a friend of sinners on my tombstone. I'd be happy to be known as that. But when they called Jesus that, they weren't really saying, yeah, he's a good guy and gracious to sinners. No, they were using it in a derogatory way. Their suggestion is you're like the people you hang with. They said, hey, he hangs with harlots, wine-bibbers, gluttons. The suggestion, he was immoral, that, that he himself was a glutton and, and a drunkard. And we know none of those things could be true. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin, we read of our Lord. So, so they accuse him falsely, and he just lets it go. He doesn't even worry about it. Now, there are times, though, where you have to stand up, and here's the exception. At one point in John's Gospel, we're told that in the midst of a rather heated discussion between Jesus and some of his religious enemies, they said, we weren't born of fornication. The implications were clear. They were suggesting he was. They denied the reality, of course, of his virgin birth. They, they had the gossip and the rumors about his mom and Joseph or whoever sleeping together prior to Jesus' birth. So when they say, we weren't born of fornication, Jesus doesn't really let that go. It's the one time, at least that I see in the Gospels, where he didn't exactly turn the other cheek. He said, no, you're of your father, the devil. I, I like that personally. I, I, he, he just said, no, you've crossed the line here. Why? It wasn't just an assault on him. It was an assault on his mother's character. It was assault on the, the spirit of God who made possible the miraculous birth. It was blasphemy, if you will, of the Holy Spirit to, to attribute anything about Jesus to an unholy spirit or an ungodly work. And so he says, I'm not going to let that go. But for the most part, we see Jesus turning the other cheek, just letting it go by. Why? He didn't come to condemn. It would have been easy for him. Hey, let's face it. If we hang out together, it is so easy for me to see your sin and for you to see mine. Some people think they have a special gift of noticing other people's sin. Guess what? Everybody can see that stuff. It doesn't take any special gift. The gift is trying to reconcile sinners to the Lord, trying to do good by those who are in sin and, and ensnared by sin. That's what the gift is. But we all see sin in one another. And so, like Jesus did, when we are accosted, when we are spoken evil of, we just want to let it go. Literally, turn the other cheek. Don't let it get to you. Don't retaliate. Don't get in the middle of it. Why? It's not how he wants to work in and through us. He's got a way to deal with it all. And he's promised to do that. Vengeance, he says, is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Well, so we are to be those who don't resist, but hey, when insulted, when these things go down, we just turn the other cheek. We just let it go. Peter tells us that we are not to suffer as evildoers, but if we suffer according to the will of God, if we suffer because of the word of God, that we're simply to entrust ourselves unto him as unto a faithful creator. We're to trust that Romans 8.28 is true. That God will turn all this around. That he'll make it all work together for good. How does he do it? 
You got to obey him to find out. You got to let him take care of it and then you'll see. He also says if someone wants to sue you there in verse 40 and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Now, now this is interesting because see, the law said an eye for an eye and he says, I don't want you to retaliate. I don't want an eye for an eye out of you. And then the law said that, well, the law actually said they could sue and they could take your tunic, but they couldn't take your outer garment. That was for the poor's protection from the elements and all that they would face. And so he says, I don't want you to think in terms of the law. I want you to think in terms of love. We'll see that so clearly as we get into our next study, the most difficult commands of our Lord and Savior Jesus. But, but for our purposes today... He says, listen, if they sue you and take your tunic, that was the inner garment, that, that unwoven garment or that garment that was woven, but just one piece that everyone wore close to their body. Even poor people usually had a couple of those, one for wash day and, you know, one for to wear. But the outer garment, the law said, don't, they, they can't take it from you. He's saying, listen, if they sue you for the inner garment, just say you got the outer garment too. Why? Saying, then you won't even be in court. But, but they're going to take everything I have. They're going to take advantage of me. Jesus says, don't sweat that. Just trust me. It'll all work out. How? God says he'll make it all work out. We'll see as we get into the next chapters and verses that he talks about his care and provision in all of nature. But, but here again, if they sue you for this, give them that as well. Give them more than they're asking. Don't fight for your rights. Don't try to prove that that ain't going to happen to you. He just says, give them more than they're asking. Now, Paul builds on this whole idea when he writes to the church at Corinth because it was a very gifted but very carnal church. And he says, man, you guys shame each other and you shame the Lord because you drag your your offenses before the pagan judges. He says, isn't there a wise man among you that could resolve these conflicts, that could deal with these issues? And he's saying, if you got a family problem, handle it in the family. In the church is a family. If you got a problem with someone in the church, you handle it within the church. You don't go outside to the courts and, and drag your dirty laundry and others' dirty laundry out before the pagan and the heathen. Why? It just gives them more fuel to blaspheme the Lord and to, to see you as a hypocrite. So he says, it's better to be taken advantage of. It's better to be, be thought a fool and, 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 Listen, just let it go, he's saying. Why? The Lord will repay. The Lord will take care of you and take care of the one who takes advantage of you. Then he says, whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. This was actually a part of Roman law at that time. So, so Jesus is not only going back to the Old Testament and building on it and clarifying it. He's saying, listen. You know how it is. You know how it goes. At that time, the Romans were ruling the roost. And any Roman soldier or Roman officer could come up to you at any time and say, look, I'm tired. You carry my gear. The law said you had to carry it for a mile. Or if he wanted to send a message, you had to go a mile with that message. Now, Jesus is saying the law says one mile, but I'm saying go an extra mile, go the extra mile. Why? Well, it does two or three things. First of all, for you personally, for me personally, it keeps us from grumbling and complaining about the law. Why? Well, if I'm only going to go the mile, I just have a tendency personally to murmur and complain a little. I don't like to be pushed around more than any more than you guys do. I don't like to be bossed around any more than you guys do. And I certainly don't like people who are in need of help 
trying to, you know, force the issue. I'll never forget years and years ago when this church was very young and very small and we were very poor. I had a guy call me up and say he wanted some clothes. And I said, come on down. We don't have a clothes closet, but I'll walk you down and get you some stuff. So he shows up at the church and I tell him Salvation Army is just a few blocks away. We'll go down together. And he looks at me and says, Salvation Army, I'm not wearing that stuff. We're going and getting some new clothes. And I'm like, I don't think so. And he's like, well, you're a Christian and the Bible says you've got to give. We'll see it in a minute. Give to him who asks, you know, and whoever wants to borrow, give to him. Here's the problem, though. We were really poor. Our family was poor. Our church was poor. My own boys were wearing clothes from Salvation Army. Now, I'm not going to give this leech clothes that are you know, nicer than the clothes my kids were wearing. And so I just said, you're not getting anything from me. And he started swearing and telling me how the Bible said I had to do it. I'm like, make me. Try it, you know. It's not going to happen. And he's like, you've got to do it. I'm like, you got the wrong guy. Go down the road. And I absolutely refuse. Now, i got to admit to you. Well, I think all of you can appreciate that story. And you think, yeah, that's right on. Unfortunately, it's unbiblical. I really should have, if I was in a place, given him what he was asking, not just what I was willing to give. But that was a long time ago. And I was very immature in those days. And as you can tell, I've grown a lot. And so, well, I wouldn't press the issue, though. But in any case... He says, if they compel you to go a mile, go the extra mile. Not only won't you be grumbling and complaining on the way, but you will earn an opportunity to witness. Why? When he says, look, I know the law says you got to take this stuff a mile, but I don't get the extra mile thing at all. Well, you see, I serve this Lord who is so merciful and so gracious and so giving and so caring. I just want to be like that to you. I want you to know experientially what I've found in Jesus experientially. Mercy and grace. Not just law and justice and judgment. All that's necessary and important. But that's not what we're about as believers. You see, the law stands. Jesus never stopped it, changed it, took it away Police are still supposed to arrest those who murder others. The courts are still supposed to convict them. The legal system should still be putting them to death. Is it possible to have a, a, a twin belief of, yes, I believe in the death penalty, but I believe I absolutely need to forgive people who've sinned against me personally? There's no inconsistency because the death penalty is part of the legal system and the forgiveness thing is part of our personal responsibility in dealing with people who've hurt us or those we love, who've offended us or those we love. And so we're to show mercy. We're to show grace. We're to be forgiving. Why? If we're not, as we shared last time in an altogether different context, we will be bitter We'll be angry. We'll be frustrated. That will eat away at us and those closest to us. It won't hurt the people who've hurt us and offended us at all. No, our responsibility is to forgive the legal system. Their responsibility is to deal with justice. Now, justice and mercy meet at the cross. You've got to know that. And there's something wonderful here for us. And we'll talk more about mercy and grace in a moment. But when Jesus was arrested... After enduring that brutal beating where they blindfolded him and blindsided him and mocked him saying, hey, tell us who's badgering and blasting you. You're a prophet. As they plucked out his beard and spat in his face, as, as they took that, that, that scourge and gave him the 39 stripes, Jesus bore up under all of that. 
And then as he was going out to Golgotha to be crucified, not for anything he'd done. You see, he hadn't broken the law of God or man. But, but he was going to Golgotha bearing a cross for your sins and mine. It's the first principle of the cross. The cross is always about others. But something kind of interesting happens that, that fits into this command. There was an out-of-towner, a guy named Simon. He'd come, no doubt, to celebrate the Passover feast. And like everybody, just enjoying the day and, and looking forward to the feast, the evening, and all that would continue on and that, that week-long celebration that first followed the, the Passover lamb slaying. But, but here's the deal. All of a sudden, he hears from, from somewhere in the crowd, uh, someone commanding him. Get over here. Pick that beam up. Pick up that cross. Carry it out to Golgotha for him. You see, Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. After enduring a beating that killed many, surviving all that, he, he went out bearing that beam or that cross. And when he fell under the weight, Simon was commanded to take up that cross and bear it for Jesus. He becomes the first person in Scripture to, to, to really get what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Why? Well, the implication for Jesus is he must have been not just a sinner, but a, a horrible sinner. Why? Only horrible, notorious sinners were nailed to crosses. It was the most shameful, painful form of death that they had in that day. And so now, here's this guy Simon, and, and he's bearing a cross. But, but not for himself, for Jesus, who was really going out to Golgotha to bear his cross, not for himself, but for you and for me, for us, for our sins. So later when we read from the lips of our Lord, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. All of a sudden, this, this comes together for us. It takes us somewhere we've absolutely got to go if we're talking about forgiveness, non-retaliation, turning the other cheek, giving the shirt off our back, going the extra mile. If we're going to be like that and act like that, then we've got to first deny ourselves. We'll never, never accomplish this command in the energies of our flesh. It's going to be a work of the Spirit. So, I've got to deny myself. I need to take up my cross, realizing that is something I'm bearing for others. And then I've got to follow after Jesus. That's exactly what Simon did. That's what we're given opportunity to do. And then there's just a couple other things before we get to this last couple of commands. If you don't know the difference between mercy and grace, you need to know first that justice is getting what you deserve. And that's why there's a justice system, a legal system, that people are going to ultimately pay for their crimes. And if it seems like they're getting away with it or getting off of it, they're not. And it's actually a dangerous thing to get away or think you've gotten away because that just hardens your heart even more to continue down that road. Man, if you do something wrong and you get busted, you should say, thank you, Lord, for just keeping me on a short lease, for keeping me aware that you're not going to let your child go down that road of sin against you. But justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve then grace is getting what you don't deserve. I, I got this email from someone. It sort of illustrates this point in a, in a minute way. It's, it says this elderly woman had just returned home after a, just a great church service, and, and she was startled by an intruder in her house. She caught him in the act of robbing her house and, and valuables, and so she shouts out, Stop! Acts 2.38! Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins may be forgiven. 
Sort of a novel approach. Well, the burglar stops in his tracks. The woman calmly calls the police, explains what she'd done. The officer comes and cuffs the man and, and then asks, Hey, why did you just stand there? I mean, all the old lady did was yell a scripture to you. Scripture, replied the burglar. She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights. <laughs> this goes on to say, Remember, knowing scripture can save your life in more ways than one. But I'm really going somewhere with this. I want you to put yourself in the place of someone comes home in order to understand the difference between mercy, which would be just being forgiven, having it forgotten, put away, not calling the cops and just letting them go. That would be mercy. But grace goes a step further. Imagine you come home and when you get to your house, you find a burglar. But the guy just doesn't look that dangerous and, and he looks haggard and, and hungry. And so you, instead of calling the police, you say, hey, what's up with this? And he says, man, I wasn't trying to steal anything. I was just starving. I, I broke in. I just, I just needed food. I, I lost my job. I have, I have nothing. So instead of calling the police, you feed him. Then you cleanse him. And then you clothe him. And then you call down and you arrange for him to get a job. He gets a job, he begins to work, he gets his own place, comes to dinner every Sunday at your house, falls in love and marries your sister. It's, it's all of a sudden this guy's family, he's an heir, he's a part of your whole thing. I'd like to suggest to you that's exactly what God has done for us. He caught us and we were guilty and he could have judged us and he would have been just in doing so. But instead he said, no, I'm going to forgive that, that's mercy. And he could have just let us go, but he didn't. Instead, he cleansed us and clothed us and he gave us work to do and he birthed us into the family. We're heirs of Christ now. And so that's grace. That's what we've received. And, and when you read these things and consider them in that light, of course, he's been so gracious to me. That's why it's not an eye for an eye. It's uh, I, I'm not going to retaliate at all. It's not just... Turn the other cheek. It's, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to get into it at all. It's not just give them the shirt off your back or go the extra mile. It's, as we'll see in our next study, really doing good to those who've done evil to us, praying for those who've despitefully or spitefully used us. But that will be our next time together. This study, though, concludes with these words. Verse 42, give to him who asks you, from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. He's saying, listen, be generous, share. And here's an irony, if you will. The things that God intended the government to do, man takes in to his own hands. We've taken into our own hands. We've tried to get even. We've tried to get one up on. We've tried to straighten out the situation. He says, no, I have, I've got a legal system for that. I've got police and courts and jails. I've got all that for that. And so he's saying, just relax and let the system work. And, and then we come to the part he actually tells us to do. Give to the needy. Whoever asks, loan to those who try to borrow and don't turn away. And you know what we do? We say, well, that's the government's job. They're supposed to take care of the poor. They're supposed to take care of the needy. Is that irony? That we do the part God said was theirs, and then we expect the government to do the part that God says is ours. I'd suggest to you this is revolutionary teaching that by and large, if you weren't reading the Bible, you would have never thought of this or come up with this. And even if you agree with it, unless God's working 
in your life supernaturally, you will never be able to live up to it. You may philosophically say, okay, I get it and I agree, but man, when it comes down to doing it, you need to know God who's commanded will and power. And so in every case, it's no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. It's no longer just turn the other cheek, but we'll see, it goes beyond that. It's no longer the shirt off your back or the extra mile. It's no longer just giving to those who ask. It's looking for opportunities to give and meeting the needs of those around us. Forgiving an individual who has hurt or damaged us and then seeking to serve and bless that person, that's not an easy thing to do. We must first remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We can then overlook our own needs and ask the Lord for the strength to do that which does not come naturally to us. Join us next time as we continue on in Matthew chapter 5. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.